welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is the season finale of season three. And with me today, I have my one, my only, Husband Rowan Brooks, everybody. Yay. Pew 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 pew. Thrilled to be here. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, the last time we recorded, you didn't have. I remember you saying you didn't have a choice because we were in lockdown. That's right. <laughs> that still applies. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, let's do a recap. So I thought it was fitting that the first episode of season three, um, I had you on to talk about my fertility journey, which honestly, I should have retitled it to our fertility journey. Yeah, you know, and honestly, I think it should be like my husband's subfertility <laughs> problem. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, let's let's call it because you're you're quite generous in being, you know, um, kind of. Well, you're fair. In no, not really. You're not really representing this correctly because ultimately we did all the tests and you know we had some bad, you know, advice at the beginning that maybe there was some tied tubes or something. And when we finally got down to the heart of it, you know, my. It was a motility issue. It was malfactor infertility. Well, I I feel like encompassing it as an a uh, we problem um, is more accurate because we both had to figure out the solution. You know, it wasn't just like I mean. So I mean, going back a few steps, we ended up. Last time we recorded together, we were in the process of switching clinics, going from um, doing IUIs at a certain clinic and going to um, Dr. Amy and starting the IVF process. Sure. So we started the IVF process in May of 2020. We we got really great numbers from our egg retrieval. Um, we retrieved 36 eggs, 34 were mature 24 fertilized, um, nine were sent off to PGTS testing, um, PGTA. There's so many different ways to call it. but um, And then we received news that we got seven normal, healthy embryos. Now, after our egg retrieval, we got a more comprehensive diagnosis from the embryologist and from Dr. Amy, mm-hmm. um, which was that our biggest hurdle was male factor infertility. Mm-hmm. And um, she told us that if we were to try naturally, it would have taken us seven years. So we made the right decision. Yeah. But it was hard to receive that news and you couldn't be in the room. And I had to deliver that news to you. That was really hard. I couldn't be in the room because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I think the first time you talked to uh, Dr. Amy on spec, just kind of getting a little bit of a you know chemistry test on you know if, if you guys could work together, she kind of said, "Hmm, sounds like male factor." <laughs> um, so I think we were preparing ourselves for that. Mm-hmm. And we really, you know, you don't even know what you're what you're going to find it's like opening pandora's box when you start going in there and looking at my dna and your dna yeah i think i think you know if the if the you know what's the expression she were on the other foot if you know if it were your infertility factor i would totally also be kind of owning that and saying that it was our journey um so i i see a little bit of of why you're you know painting that picture but I just think that there's it's just really hard for anyone to you know that both both sexes have this you know um stigma that they're they're fearful of right because women have to be these kind of you know motherly maternal figures within our society in in a way and their reproductive health is kind of so important to you know, the, the, their function in society and in the, you know, in creating families. And and guys are kind of seen as being like, you know, virile and, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of ha- being very like strong and, you know, yeah. healthy. Um, well, that bring, that reminds me, you know, speeding up to our first transfer, which was successful. And we're really grateful. We weren't expecting that. We were preparing to be on this road for quite a long time. Um, But we're now eight months pregnant. And when we were doing some um, uh, parenthood prep, one of the books that we read was like, you know, the father's handbook or something or preparing. Right. Yeah. And it was like, aren't you proud of yourself? You got your wife pregnant. Yeah. And that really offended me. Yeah. I was fuck fucking hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was just mad that like, that's what, how we characterize masculinity. I, now. I was too. I, I'm, I'm from a, from a background of, of, what I would consider toxic masculinity and feel like people roll their eyes when they hear that expression, like it's some kind of liberal buzzword. And I honestly think it's a massive part of the major dysfunction in most of our, you know, society reflects on, you know, the male role in uh, a home, in the workplace, in fatherhood, um, it's very constraining. It's a, it's a problem. And actually what we need to do is, is look at it with a much more sympathetic, you know, um, that's maybe where there's a problem in the sense that the toxic masculinity kind of feels ver- kind of judgy. And actually what we should look at is like what, how we start to become more um, empathic to, you know, the, yeah. that, that, that. Well, symptom. and encouraging men to be, I think, encouraging their softer side and not putting these types of um, 
these types of expectations on men that this this defines your masculinity this defines it not crying defines it whether you can get a woman pregnant defines it yeah you know like i think that's really that's dangerous that's where we yeah we are we're figuring out how to do things differently i guess i think the kids though are are are, gonna, are not going to have the same problems that we have i mm-hmm. mean I, like from my experience of working with big brother big sister bay area and having a, a younger you know, brother that I mentored who, you know, within six months of us hanging out, kind of the, the mother called and said, hey, you know, um, from moving forward, you know, your, your, your little brother wants to identify as you know, a female. And uh, that was an incredible thing for me to have to kind of, I was very excited to be exposed to that and to learn about that and what that meant. And I found out that actually um, this person was the second person in their class at school that, that identified that way. Mm. And I was like, wow, um, it really is. That generation is being brought up with, with so much tolerance and acceptance around the, you know, they're not being this kind of, binary kind of right that that is becoming very like almost like common yeah well I mean I see it in my class that I teach you know like I teach a youth class and I teach an adult class all on virtually and the youth class is very comfortable stating their pronouns and the adult class it's a little there's a you know, their brain short circuits a little bit when you ask them to yeah, state their I, I pronouns. Think we, I think we might be the last generation that really struggles with that. You know? Thank God. Thank yeah. God. We're yeah. moving on. Yeah. We're progressing. Yeah. We just have to, you know, um, be the ones that can kind of, you know, um, make that change. And, and it, you know, it's on us to kind of. And, and that's the, t- the, tr- the tricky thing with, with that is that the whole paradigm things is like, it's so hard to remember because we're so programmed, you know, and mm-hmm. there's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to be allowed to make that mistake a few times. And I, God, I've done that so many times and been corrected and, and. Well, it's just, you're deep, you're, you're conditioned, you're right. conditioning yourself. Right. You're unlearning a lot of stuff that you've and been. It, and I think if you talk to you know, that community, there is a kind of, there is a tolerant, you know, people talk about a very intolerant council, uh, council culture around these kind of very progressive liberal ideas. And, and, and it can feel like you're being censored or you're being kind of, you know, felt to feel ashamed. But honestly, like, I think in, in the, in the whole gen, gender um, spectrum, I think, we are allowed to kind of make that mistake if you do. I mean, don't dead name anyone if you can help it. But like, if you make a few, the mistake a few times, that's okay. So getting back to male factor infertility, how did it feel for you when you realized that that was our biggest hurdle? Um, sorry, ask me that question again. so going back to our diagnosis of male factor infertility how did that land for you oh i it's it it was a slow you know oh god um realization i think there was there was luckily okay i mean i say luckily 
it wasn't infertility. Mm-hmm. It was a subfertility. Right. Like we so, weren't we weren't completely so, out of sperm. Right. So for you know, so I, I I realized that there's a kind of there's a difference there. A lot of people that might listen to this are experiencing infer- like true infertility. And I think um that has its own weight to it and its own realization process. I think I felt like there was kind of a, a chance, a fighting chance that we could make this work. And given that. Well, I mean, looking at our records, we were really good candidates for IVF. Like looking at our numbers on paper. Yeah. We were really good. Like our, we had, I had a, a favorable AMH. Yeah which, um, you know, kind of is an indicator to your egg, you know, your egg egg count, not so much quality, but egg count. And you definitely, you know, we weren't dealing with um, super, super, super low numbers, you know. Um, Yeah, we weren't dealing with super, super, super low numbers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there is such a thing as azumaspermia where they there is no trace of sperm right. and they have to surgically go in there and yeah. retrieve it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, the question for me was like how did this happen? And I and I wonder, you know, because it's not really something that it's has shown up in my family. I mean, uh my father um I unfortunately don't really have um, great communication with my father to a point where we could. Uh, You're uh, getting a little soft. Oh, sorry. To speak up. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought you were like wrap it up. Don't don't talk about your dad. <laughs> no, okay. I don't care if you want to talk about your dad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, the gesture was just confusing. Yeah. Um, I I would love to have the kind of relationship with my father where I could talk to him and you know and ask him because I my my parents. And if my mom listens to this, uh, it's not something I wouldn't say to her. And, you know, I can speak candidly to her, fortunately. Um, I've never really felt like I could do that with with my dad as much. But, um, you know, um, my dad had a vasectomy and, um, you know, two kids. And it was like, just take the risk out of the equation. And that was something that, you know, I never really got told, like, how the, what details kind of went into that decision. But, um, I don't really have a, a good enough understanding of whether there's some kind of, um, you know, genetic uh, predisposition there. So I'm left wondering if there's a lifestyle thing there. And, and you know, I'm, I'm someone who, like, lived a very, <laughs> um, I mean, kind of probably kind of quite a classic, like, 20s lifestyle, urban lifestyle, where it's like a lot of, like, partying and drinking and weed and you know i mean not not so much like big into class a's but like, but lots of people do that I, and are able to like yeah i just look back and i think was i just just killing my baby my future babies with, <laughs> with like you know alcohol abuse and and and, and weed and, and like maybe um I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I calmed it down in my in my 30s and in my 40s. I'm kind of, you know, much more boring. Um, you're pretty. You're pretty hot, though. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a compliment. I can't believe you said that. You said that to me yeah. this morning. 
when we were smooching in bed. It's been a while. It's been a while since you said that to me, but I'm glad you still feel that. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, in in your 40s, you're kind of like over the. I I don't know. I'm I'm over the party thing. But yeah, I was wondering if you know maybe there was something that I could have done more to protect that part of my you know my body, my biology. It's so interesting. I think a lot of people kind of go back and forth with blaming themselves and what could I have done differently. I think that's very common in the infertility community. And, you know, um, it's just so hard to know. It's hard to trace it. You know, I'm 35. You're... 43. 43. So we were just ready to get pregnant. We were ready to start our family. And IVF seemed the most promising solution for us. Um, I don't I don't blame you. You know, somebody asked me that. They're like, do you have any resentment towards your mm. husband? And, um, you know, thoughts definitely creep in about like, oh, man, this sucks. I can't believe I have to do this, you know, which is totally natural. You know, anybody who's telling you they don't have certain feelings like that um, will is just lying to you, you know, because they're just human. Those are human. That's a human reaction, you know, but. Oh my God, 99% of the time, I just think to myself, how could you be mad at somebody who would never blame you for, you know, if the tables were turned? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we were preparing. It's like when you, when you realize that you're in a subfertile, infertile situation, you, you know, you wonder where the roulette ball is going to land, you know, is it going to be on you or me or... You know, and and or both of us, and um, yeah, there's there's obviously so much shame associated, or something, some kind of culpability that that you that it would be so easy to kind of go into. And I think it's really important to just take that out of the equation. Because, yeah, because when you're in a committed relationship, this is you have to work with what you've got and to bring that kind of level of negativity, uh, you know? Well, I think this really prepared us for future, future obstacles. For some reason I'm reminded of the fire festival documentary and that (laughs) that weird guy. What's the name of that guy who like, who was like insane and planned everything. Uh, Oh, there are people arriving like in like three days and he he had there's this famous quote where like he's trying to make people kind of continue to uh, Billy McFarland. Yeah, Billy McFarland said uh, he's kind of trying to like get all these people to continue, you know, making all these um, crazy decisions. Yeah, and somebody says like, "No, this isn't going to work," and he goes like, "What I'm getting from you." <laughs> <laughs> is a lot of negativity. Yeah. And what I need from you is 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 a solution oriented. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, um 
I mean, Rome is fall. It's everything's yeah. falling apart at that yeah. point, and he's like, "I need you to be yeah. solution oriented." You're, you're, you're very problem oriented right now. I need you to be solution oriented, <laughs> and I think I think as soon as a couple that's committed to living this life together finds something out about themselves that impacts the two of you, you, you just have to be solution oriented. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could waste a lot of time, you know. Um, thinking about yesteryear and going back in your mind. Yeah. You can't you can't change it. You can't change the past. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. Um okay, so I mean, I do think that like we our numbers were great with our egg retrieval. We were again really lucky to get I was really surprised. I I, I was too. I have no idea because you never know and you you always obviously super nervous it's like it's like the day that you go to show up for your exam results at school yeah like did i get a's did i get yeah and luckily we 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 got a ton of a's i um you know looking back on this past season this was the season that i transitioned from talking about pop culture and hot gossip completely to infertility and different pathways to parenthood and I have to say, it's been so much more refreshing to talk about this. Yeah. Um, it feels realer, you know? Like I, I don't... It, it feels um, more tangible. It feels like um, it was something that I couldn't stop talking about when we were going through it, you know? Like, it's all I wanted to talk about. And I know being in the throes of trying to conceive and nothing's working, it, you just want to be able to talk and listen and immerse yourself into the conversation. Yeah. Um, and not a lot of people are having the, these conversations, yeah. you know? So yeah. I really felt like a new door opened up yeah. through all this and I yeah. found purpose um, through it all. And I, I'm going to stick with talking about infertility and not just infertility, but like different pathways to parenthood. And when I mean that, I mean like defining families the way you want to define your family and finding, building your family the way you want to build your family, or maybe calling it quits and saying, your family is just going to be a twofer, you know, Yeah. and, and leaving it there. And just, I think finding family, defining family dignity for everybody and whatever that is. I think you've done an incredible job and, and, and I've been so impressed with the way that you took this subject and just tore it up, like just, just went deep and used your platform to give uh, people the opportunity to learn what you were learning. You know, I mean, that shows great confidence in, in your, you know, in your ability to kind of absorb and understand and, and share information. And, and it's been inspiring to watch you do that. Um, I wonder, um, at just knowing some of the sensitivities of this community, how you feel it's, it, it so there's, I have so much empathy for people who haven't had a positive outcome. And I've heard all the stories and listened to your podcast where you've talked to people who've had 
miscarriages and you know they're not they're 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 in their third round of IVF and they're coming up short how do you feel about the fact that you are someone who has had a positive experience and do you feel like there's kind of how do you feel like that informs you know how do you think the community will react to you now that you are going to be a mother because in a way your community is around infertility and you now are going to be a mother with a child so does mm-hmm. that move you into a new category that maybe people aren't really because i remember like don't talk about babies in the in the waiting room at the at the oh yeah uh, fertility clinic because yeah it's too triggering yeah so so how do you stay well at first connected I- to your infertility community now that you're I um so what I tried to do was I tried to keep the focus of the podcast um completely on infertility and people's stories to parenthood um and not I didn't want to talk about it that much you know it it definitely bled into conversations and leaked out, I'm sure, in a few episodes. But um, for the most part, I just wanted to highlight the journey and the storytelling aspect of these challenges. At first, it was there was a lot of guilt associated with it. Like I felt like I um, I didn't struggle enough to get this. Um, to get here, to get, you know what I mean? Um, I didn't go through, you know, the five, six, seven, eight rounds of IVF that some people have to do, you know, to get pregnant. And, um, you know, um, but I guess, you know, like on the flip side of that, like that's a lot of comparing, which is not doesn't serve anybody in the community. You know, like we did try for a year, which is the definition of infertility, you know, trying naturally for a year, you know, which is so heteronormative, which is such a heteronormative statistic, but it is, that's the definition. And um, and then we had two failed IUIs, so, and that wasn't I mean, three because you did two in the second. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So our first IUI was like a single IUI. And then our second IUI, we did back to back. So we did two IUIs two days in a row during ovulation. So, um, yeah, and those failed. So it wasn't like we, um, you know, kicked to the, kicked the can down the road for two months and then just you know, brought an AK-47 to a water gun fight, you know? (laughs) Sorry, that's just an analogy. That's terrible. We're not gun people. We're really not gun people. I think we can edit that part out. No, but you know what I mean? Like, we didn't come in going straight to IVF. You know, there was a lot of time there between that making that decision. Right, right. Um, and I think that, like, now 
it feels like even though we are pregnant and we're going to have a baby in a month, um, if we ever want to build our family after that, we have to go back to doing it this way. You know, we, we have six M babies on ice. And, um, you know, we have to make a decision. We, we don't want six more children, but we do have to make a decision about what we want to do after we have this child. And um, we, our chances of conceiving naturally are not, are statistically very low, like less than 7%. So it's, it's interesting because infertility doesn't really like leave you once you get pregnant. You know, the idea of knowing if you ever want to expand your family again, you kind of have to retrace certain steps. Right. I mean, in a way, though, you know, we have this amazing kind of, I mean, it's kind of a privilege that we have these babies in waiting, right? And oh, it's absolutely, we were absolutely given the chance to preserve our fertility through yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not getting any younger. So I don't know, two, three years down the line, if we want to do this again, we'll be working with, you know, embryos that we created when I was 34 and you were 42. Yeah. So, but I've learned a lot about this. I yeah. feel like I've been given a new sex education. Yeah. 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 I like how you kind of, uh, I remember in the, some of the earlier episodes, you said, I want to give, I want to get the sex education that I never had and, and, and help give that because I, I do feel like there's a real deficit of, of, of understanding and, and, and there's no real kind of conversation about it. And it's funny because, I kind of always laugh about the fact that, you know, <laughs> we always want to be part of the solution and not the problem, right? And I do think that you're going to continue to talk broadly about infertility and uh, put a spotlight on other people's stories and journeys, and that will continue to um, allow people to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, than, than is commonly available, you know? I mean, luckily... I mean, I've learned a lot about adoption going yeah. through that, which yeah. is, like, something that people in the infertility community really, you know, it, it it's honestly a... It hurts to hear when people are like, why don't you just adopt? Um, because adoption is not easy. You know, it it's... Um, it shows a lack of understanding about the adoption process in this country when somebody responds to someone's misfortune or infertility with just adopt, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yet uncovering stories where adoption is building, it, you know, 
people are going down, choosing to go down that route um, has been fascinating. Yeah. So is it fair to say that for season four, you'll be committed to kind of telling stories about everything that relates to infertility. Um, and that can be like adoption or it could be. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm going to stick with the same theme. Right. Of different pathways to parenthood. Yeah. And infertility. Right. Um, yeah, with surrogacy or. Yep. I mean, we I did do a few episodes of surrogacy in yeah. this season, and that was that was eye opening. Yeah, that's I mean that I mean I I don't know. It seems like science is just masterful now. Like, you, oh, and didn't you date some one of the second IVF babies? Yeah, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That's I interesting. I don't know. I mean... We don't have to mention her name. No. Um, she, I dated her. I mean, she was born in 70... She must have been born in 78. She told me... I was 15 when we dated, and she told me that um, she was, like, one of the early IVF babies. And I said, what is that? And she kind of said test you baby which i think we should i mean i think we've lost that term yeah point. yeah but I, I i mean i didn't i got past it very quickly she's absolutely beautiful and, <laughs> and stunning and like like a foot taller than it me it doesn't and, matter yeah, like, <laughs> test tube or not you're yeah, hot yeah she was stunning and and uh and intimidating and and in her beauty but you know i didn't handle that well with skill or grace or anything and you know i i wish i'd had more you know language more you know competency i think that's something that we need to continue to kind of talk about i, I this is something that i am going to be thinking about as i move forward is how do i talk about this right as a, and you have a platform, you have an amazing community that, that is responding to you and giving into you and using, you know, investing in you. And there's this kind of mutual thing where you guys, somebody with special knowledge comes on your show and you kind of give them and amplify their, their story. And that's it's amazing. Um, my, me going out into the world, you know, I have this wife who's, you know, this wonderful, you know, person within the community. And, and I don't, I find it hard to bring it up. Even with all this acceptance and, and kind of, uh, you know, normalization around it, right? So <clears throat> I don't know how to, for example, when I'm on my, like, happy hour Zoom meeting with my work colleagues, you know, and I want to kind of fly the flag of normalizing uh, conversations around infertility, it still kind of boils down to... Uh, the chief creative director talking about his sperm and that that has no place in any <laughs> happy hour zoom you know i mean it's it's still hard to yeah. bring it up and i i always kind of think um you know i i i i, I you know di diabetes was was really a big part of uh my first wife's mm -hmm. life and and that still is very like shrouded in mystery and like so that's and, one thing that, like, maybe we should just mention is I'm Rowan's second um, marriage. Right. Um, Rowan was previously married right. and she had diabetes. And right. that was, right. that was, I mean, that's a big medical world there. 
Yeah, and and I just remember just the desperation for uh, people with diabetes to talk about it. Like I remember the disappointment that more people weren't vocal about it, just to kind of like build a more you know um, acceptable. Um, empathetic yeah um, like holly berry berry um you know and I, holly berry has diabetes yeah oh yeah. wow i didn't know like, that and 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 i and i feel with this um you know with like i i'm kind of like i remember like seeing recently cnn big news coming from like a big announcement from michelle obama who's like amazing and her book is amazing and her life story is amazing and she's like the number one downloaded podcast on spotify and i was i remember seeing this moment where i thought she was going to actually start talking about her infertility um and i saw this kind of like back you know after the break we're going back michelle obama big announcement about some you know some something and it was medical right i was like holy shit the the obamas are going to start talking about the fact that both their daughters or IVF babies. And she talked about it in her book. Yes, she yeah. did talk about it in her book. That's right. And um, I was surprised that there wasn't more attention paid to that once it, the book came out. I mean, maybe within this community, it was, it was you know. Well, sure. in talking to, in the episode where I talk with Dr. Amy, the yeah. egg whisperer, yeah. um, Dr. Amy brought them up. Right. She was like, I have a feeling that they were struggling with male factor infertility yeah. um, and because of smoking. Right. He's, you know, a, right. a right. or not notorious, but closet slash people know he smokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's still very sexy and <laughs> um, people look the other way, obviously. Yeah. Um, but... He, she was hoping that, like, he was going to come out and talk about it. Yeah, I, and, and, and the, you know, just to kind of finish up that story, she came back and it was like, I had a low-grade depression because of, you know, the Trump era, you know, and, and, and I was like, ah, oh, opportunity missed again, you know. Oh, so she talked about her depression rather than the infertility. Yeah, I, I just, I'm just waiting for the, you know, there's other people, like, you know, there are big names, John Legend uh, and his wife, um, uh, Kanye, like these are like there are like opportunities for people to bring this conversation into the mainstream and it still seems to be tough to talk about yeah. and i just keep wondering why i guess i guess it's it's hard it's hard to introduce that topic unless that topic is you know central like unless you're on topic it's hard to kind of but let's just like stop everyone talking about like yeah. Anything, you know, distraction. We're all talking about distraction all the time. Um, and talk about some real stuff. I think that, um, well, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to continue talking about it on the show was because there's still, people are still uncomfortable talking about this. People who haven't experienced it you know, are very uncomfortable listening about it, um, understanding it. Um, and, and I think the, you know, the more, the more stories we can share, the more experts I can have on, the more education, the more awareness that we can bring, um, 
to the conversation, the better it will be for everybody, not just infertiles, but people who know somebody who's struggling with infertility and loss, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, after we found out that we were pregnant, it was, um, it was kind of hard to believe it, wasn't it? First of all, I love that you always say we, we found out we were pregnant. Thank you for including me. I, well, I think that's part of the solution is including men more in the process of pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I feel so included by that. Um, and I am, I am, it is, it is in my world. You are central to my world and right now, and you know, you and Cleo are, are my world. And, 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 um, if, you know, if you, if there's something going on with you, it, it's, it, you know, it affects me. So it, it's, it feels right. But I, but I do kind of go like, yeah, yeah, we're pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for including me in that. Uh, sorry, what was your question? I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe that we were pregnant. Yeah, I think we've, t- we've touched on that. I think Because there was a lot of false alarms on those pregnancy tests. Yeah, yeah. And we, we had really... I was cuckoo. I was crazy. If there was a stick in my house, I was peeing on it. <laughs> I, I I love that uh, diary that you kept of the pea sticks. I think it's gonna. It's such a beautiful work of art. Like every page meticulously. Like I'm. I I mean, you're being very generous by calling it a work of art. I think it's the work of a madman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that. There is a kind of a. Well, it's just that kind of like. Yeah, like. It's, it's almost like compulsive, like it, there's kind of a nervous kind of organization, like ultra-organization of data. But it's, it's Just to paint the picture for everybody, yeah. I would, um, midway through our journey, I would pee on OPKs, you know, ovulation. A box of 100 at a time from Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they were cheap, yeah. and I was peeing on them left and right. Did you buy, buy some at the dollar store, too? Yep. Um, dollar store, anywhere where I could buy them cheap. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I would pee on these sticks to predict ovulation, OPKs, a.k.a. ovulation predictor kits, and, um, and I would line them up next to each other and tape them in a notebook to gradually like journal like yeah to gradually see an increase in LH surge um so and then i would pee on hcg tests which are pregnancy tests and i'd tape those in there um i was just absolutely mad no you you were just you were on a you know a quest we were both wanting to do this and you were just committed i did feel like i was in biology class again yeah. you know doing a science experiment and like recording data and looking at 
you know, the strips from the day before and, you know, oh, the month before and comparing, comparing all of that stuff, man. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not a scientist. Yeah. And you had a, you had a moment where there was a very, what you thought was a faint line on a pregnancy test and kind of had a false, we had a false, a moment False positive, right? Yeah, and I that still don't funny. know if that was a evaporated line or a chemical pregnancy. I still don't know. Right. But um, it was really like, oh that's my. That's the roller coaster right there. That's the roller coaster. I mean, yeah. you're just, remember that for those 24 hours that we thought we we were pregnant? I, I, I was having a hard time because I, I, I know there was a lot of like, you know, you were, I felt like you were kind of so in need of that line to change that yeah. I, I didn't see it. And then, and then the second time when, when we actually did get pregnant, there was, there was the same scenario. I looked at it and I could not see the line. Oh, right. Cause it was, I started testing five days. No, I tested on my own four days past our transfer, which is like, oh, gosh, that's risky. Um, and there was the faintest of lines. Um, you could, you could probably even see it if you crossed your eyes. Um, you know, it was like barely there. And, um. I, I, I was not prepared to, to. You didn't want to celebrate. I, I didn't want to do that. And. Yeah. Until the day after when it was like. I think when there was like, it was like day 10, day 11. Yeah. When, and we, you were still working from home and I came in and I was like, Hey, do you know I'm pregnant? (laughs) And I would just keep doing that day after day. (laughs) Yeah. It was such a joyous moment. And then our betas kept doubling. So we got, you know, you go in, they test your numbers and the numbers were doubling and. Dr. Amy was very um, generous with us with ultrasounds and letting us go when we felt like we were able to graduate solely to our OBGYN. And now we're going to be parents and we're going to be proud IVF parents. Yeah. And um, I think we feel we're on the same page about sharing... um, sharing the conception story with yeah. our child yeah. and we're not going to have any shame regarding that. Yeah. And we're not going to keep it a secret and it's I'm, just going to tell her that one of my first girlfriends was an IVF baby, a test tube baby. And yeah. And you're going to tell her she was hot too. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think, I think, yeah, there shouldn't be any stigma around that at this point, really. Well, Mel, I, you know, I just want to say, I think, you know, I, I hope your listeners um, continue to, you know, find value in what you're doing, because I know you'll continue to kind of keep looking for great stories that, you know, help people with what is, you know, a really, really private and very painful thing to learn and adapt to and adjust to in their lives. And, you know, there's a kind of huge, you know, kind of shift around you know the second half of your life if if you all of a sudden you know have been expecting um one thing and then it becomes something else and you are in a position to kind of help people 
rebuild that story and find a story that works for them. I, I do feel like we're very resilient creatures. And if we, if we don't get what we all hope and expect, you know, there are ways to find happiness in a different situation. Yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, going back to these COVID times and not being able to do theater right now, it feels very important to me to still hear and listen and share stories. You know, that storytelling element of that happens in the podcast as well as on the stage is still very important and powerful to me. And um, I, what I've realized, what I've learned from this past season is everybody's story deserves to be told, you know, and everybody's story is uniquely different and interesting. And, um, and I just want to give, I want to give a platform for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to be a parent with you. Well, it's an I an IVF parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been funny that the last couple of days you've been feeling a little wistful and emotional about the uh, the fact that you know these are going to be our last few days. Oh yeah, I was getting teary eyed last night. Dynamic because because most of the a lot of the time I feel like I you know I'm a source of frustration and. Uh, <laughs> Not. No, I know, but you know, I mean, we're we're both busy and and trying to have a career, and and you know, there's a lot that we you know have to constantly work at aligning on and being better, you know, kinder and better uh, for ourselves to show up better in our relationship, and I feel like the last three or four years. You know, in many ways, it's a blessing that we didn't get uh, a child right away, get into that, uh, because I feel like our relationship is way stronger. I mean, it's stronger now than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're definitely at a good place. Yeah. We're yeah. at a good place to bring a child into this world. And we're still know that it's we're a work in progress i'm a work in progress and our relationship is a work in progress so yeah we're all works in progresses man it's it's it seems funny to me to to be anticipating missing something that still feels like it like we're building but it's just that's life right it's what's happening when you're you're planning um you know you never really i mean last night we were saying i fully prepared we're really closing a chapter of the chronicles of Millie, Rowan, and Cleo. Yeah. And we're opening a new chapter of Rowan, Millie, Baby, and Cleo. And now for our whole entire lives, Baby will always be in the picture. Yeah. Well, baby, there the baby will always be in a chap in a chapter, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, yeah. But so I, I mean, we're saying goodbye. You know, it's it's a goodbye to um some some really um I don't know major major life. I've 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 
I've loved this time that we've had together, Mel. I mean, yeah. we've had a lot of fun and we spend a lot of time together with great companions and we enjoy talking about, you yeah. know, anything and everything. And yeah, we may, there may be something that we, it may, be, may take a few years to get back to just you and I being able to yeah. talk about our days without it being centered around this little a little kid life. yeah because that's what parents always say they're like oh yeah you go out to dinner but all you do is talk about the kid yeah <laughs> on a date <laughs> yeah. that's fun yeah eh, we'll probably be those parents i'm i'm looking forward to i just feel like the lucky thing that you and i share is such an appreciation for for a comedy and i'm just pretty excited to for, to teach my kids some jokes <laughs> me too I just, I just think there'll be, there'll be a good source of laughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing we have plenty of. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, I'm, I, I feel inclined to mention that your margarita is almost out. So probably means we should pinch it off here. Yeah, I mean, or I could just get another one and we just keep going. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Rowan. Yeah, you're welcome, Millie. And thanks to the listeners for supporting you over the last, you know. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for. Yeah, wrap it up. This is the season finale. I know, this is the season finale. Um, Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, thank you everyone for your support, for your sharing, for talking about this, you know, the podcast, for suggesting it to people. Um, you know, we, this would all be nothing if nobody listened to what we were saying. Um, and we aren't gone forever. We're coming back. I'm coming back with a whole new season um, this summer. 2021 um all new episodes season four um so we'll be back in june july um and with more topics more stories more experts more insight more awareness thanks everybody Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. Bye.